Hey, I'm Kelby, and I love cartoons. If you're anything like me, cartoons and animation provide a well-needed escape from the stresses of the real world. So come join me in this little corner of the world that I've created for myself and for you too. We all like cartoons here. Welcome to Kelby's Cartoon Corner. This week, we're escaping into the world of the Wild Thornberries. This show was on Nickelodeon from 1998 to 2004 and was one of my favorite shows as a kid. The show follows Eliza Thornberry and her family as they travel around the world so her parents can film nature documentaries. I don't know about anybody else, but I wanted to have Eliza's life when I was a kid. Traveling around the world, getting to explore and meet new animals? Sign me up. Eliza can also talk to animals, and that makes the show a lot more fun. So whether The Wild Thornberries is a show that you remember, or if you're just looking for something new to watch, let's escape into The Wild Thornberries together. Smashing! It's like, his weird little, like, meh. That's not it. It's, nah. <laughs> we, I'm, I'm trying something a little bit different this week, so I just bear with me. I'm, one, I just drank a bunch of coffee because it's 1 a.m. and I don't want y'all to like hear in my voice how tired I am. But also I'm standing. So uh, hopefully, I don't know. I don't know what I'm expecting this to like do for the audio quality, but like we're standing instead of sitting. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll be weird. I don't know. It's going to be different though because I'm going to be standing for the entire thing instead of sitting in my really squeaky, uh, creaky old chair. So <laughs> Okay, that's it. Enjoy the episode, I guess. <laughs> I think this is the oldest show that I've covered so far that I actually actively remember watching. Like, I watched Doug, but I don't really remember anything about it. But The Wild Thornberries was one of my favorite shows. I was three when the show first aired, so all my memories are of the later seasons and the movie, but I still love this show. Before I rewatched this show, I saw a video from the Roundtable on YouTube where they talked about this show, and it's forever altered how I think about it. I don't know if I would have come to the same conclusions if I hadn't seen that video. Maybe I would have since I'm an adult, but I honestly don't know. That's one of the things that I'm noticing about rewatching these shows as an adult. I see them completely differently. I'm just not into them like I thought that I would be. And I mean, that's partly because I'm a 25-year-old watching shows that were marketed to 8 to 11-year-olds in the 1990s, and I get that. But some of these shows really stand up. I still love Danny Phantom. Avatar The Last Airbender will never get stale. I loved Korra way more as an adult than I think I would have as a teenager. And maybe a lot of it is the era that these shows were created in, too. There, that was one of my big struggles with Doug, was that it was made four years before I was born, I lived through the mid to late 90s, but I barely remember anything of it. Like, I was four in 1999. So, like, I have very fleeting memories of that entire decade, or half of a decade, I guess. I feel like now there's this big push for even animated stuff marketed to kids to have this overarching narrative. And that's the formula that I'm getting used to. So stepping back from that is kind of frustrating. It's not that I don't love SpongeBob or Doug or Hey Arnold. Those are all great. But when you go from Steven Universe, Gravity Falls, and Infinity Train back to those shows from the 90s that were marketed to kids and as something that you could pick up and watch at any point, it just feels like a drag. Like going from Korra, where every season we faced a new enemy and it was so dark and raw and real and going from that to the wild thornberries feels like I ran full force into a brick wall and that's not to say that the show is bad it's just different and I have to remind myself that this show was made almost 20 years ago when the world of animation was viewed totally differently and it was mostly for kids you know it it was just a completely different landscape 
Now all of us who have grown up on animation and have seen the great new stuff are the driving force behind this whole movement of animation is for everyone and trying to convince everyone else that these shows are worth it. I'm trying so hard to convince my dad to watch Infinity Train and my brother to re-watch regular show all the way through. I know that they would like it if they would just sit down and watch it. So... I don't know if I would have drawn the same conclusions if I hadn't seen that video, but now I've seen that video, and regardless, I can't unthink these thoughts. And again, I don't know. I, I want to say that I probably would have come to the same conclusions, but maybe not, like, as hard as I did. I don't know. Like, okay, one of the things that bugged me really early on and continues to bother me is the fact that Eliza's parents will just leave her alone for the entire day. And Debbie is content to just stay with the combi, right? But Eliza will just wander into the jungle with Darwin. Eliza is 12 and Darwin is a chimp. Regardless of how old you are, no one should just wander aimlessly through the jungles of Africa, even if you can speak to animals, which she honestly doesn't use as often as I remember her using it. Like, she uses it there's an episode where she goes with her mom there. It's I talk about this episode later, but they it's season two, episode one with elephants and Eliza can talk to the elephants, right? Like she spends the entire episode communicating with Rosie, the elephant that she's riding. And then it's like this whole thing where Rosie keeps trying to get her to like walk away from her mom and like go on all these really cool adventures. I'm like, that's fine. That's cool. Whatever. It's a kid's show. And at one point, they leave the camp in the middle of the night and they go into this cave and they end up getting attacked by a tiger. But like, instead of Eliza trying to talk to the tiger, they just run, which, okay, logically, I understand. You see a tiger in the wild, it's coming at you. Even if you have like supernatural powers where you can speak to animals, I don't feel like that would be your first move to be like, hey, we didn't actually mean to come in here and like, whatever you think that we're doing, we're not doing it. Like, we're just in here to explore these caverns. Like, we are not in here to hurt your babies or whatever you think that we're doing. We're not doing it. I don't know. I just, I remembered her talking to animals a lot more frequently. Not even, not even, like, the frequency at which she talks to the animals. It's just, like, I feel like in dangerous situations where animals are involved, she has kind of a strategic advantage. And I understand that, like, one of the things is that she can't tell anybody, right? Like, that's a plot line of the movie, is the fact that she can't tell anybody that she has these powers. And I don't remember why, exactly. I just remember that she can't tell anybody, because if she does, then her powers go away. So, like, I understand, like, if your whole family was in, like, a dangerous situation, and, like, you needed to speak to an animal, why you wouldn't do that? Because you don't want these powers to get taken away? I don't know. I just remembered her using this power a lot more than what she actually did. And I didn't watch the whole series. Like, I I googled... Uh, no, you know what, I'll, I'll talk about that later. But, like, I didn't watch the whole series. So, maybe that's on me. Maybe I just happened to see episodes where she was in danger and didn't use this power to her advantage like she could have. But I just don't remember her... I, I remembered the show differently, okay? I remembered her using her powers a lot more than what she actually did. So, that's, that's my piece about that. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I feel so out of breath. I am yeet. I mean, what a show to get into, honestly, so much that I'm out of breath, but it's also because I'm standing and I'm not used to having to exert this much energy <laughs> while recording audio, which is fine. I feel like, I feel like that's going to make this episode come off a lot better because I'm like 
up. <laughs> so that's fine. I just need, bruh, apparently I need to do some breathing exercises because I am winded after saying 18 sentences. <laughs> so that's fun. All right. So let me back up a little bit before I just go off about all the reasons that Eliza should have died because she just wanders around the jungle by herself. The Wild Thornberries was produced by the animation company Klasky Supo, which I'm assuming that I'm pronouncing that right. I'm assuming that C is silent, but I don't, I don't, I have no idea. I looked into the history of this studio and it has a really cool past. It was really neat to see. I say Klasky Supo a lot through the rest of this script. I'm realizing like this next part, how much I say this animation studio. So I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing it right, but eh, I could not be. That's fine. <laughs> so this animation company actually animated the Simpsons sketch on the Tracy Ullman show before it got picked up to be a full animated series. It was like a one-off uh, sketch that they did. And this animation company animated that sketch before it went on to actually become The Simpsons. So I thought that was kind of neat. They also produced some animated sketches for Sesame Street in the early 90s. And I don't know what any of those are, but like I Googled it and I found their website and that's what it said. So that's what I put in the script. <laughs> Probably could have verified that. Eh, that's all right. This this episode is not about Sesame Street. <laughs> uh, Klasky Supo also produced a lot of really popular cartoons on Nick in the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, they did Rugrats, Wild Thornberries, Rocket Power, and As Told by Ginger. There was also one that I saw on there that was called Duckman, which I feel like I remember seeing in passing, but I don't remember anything about the show, so I didn't, like, include that on my official list, but just know also Duckman, but I don't know what that is, so I didn't put it in here. <laughs> uh, so all those shows were animated by the same animation studio. And, okay, this hit me at work the other day. Does anybody remember Rugrats Go Wild, the crossover movie with the Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries? That happened because uh, this studio animated both of those shows. Like, they produced both of those shows. I just connected those dots the other day, and I thought that was really neat. So, anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why don't any Klasky Supo characters have chins? I just looked at promos for all of their shows, and there is not a single chin in any of these shows. That's a design choice on Bob's Burgers, too. I just, I don't understand. Where are the chins? <laughs> I don't understand. Nigel Thornberry has a chin. My fault. He has a really, really pronounced chin. Like, his whole head is a triangle, but, like, that's it. Like, they had a chin budget, and they spent it on Nigel on every episode. <laughs> their mouths are where their chins should be. Donnie is literally just eyes and a mouth. Like, his whole head. He has a really round head, and he's just teeth and eyes, and no other defining facial features. It's just, it's, it's frightening. I'm never going to be able to unsee it. While we're on the subject of character designs, I just have logistical questions about their outfit choices. Not even all of them, mostly just Debbie. <laughs> like, this girl has an eight-inch waist, and she is wearing these pants that never once come into her, into contact with her body at any point. Like, take a second and Google Debbie Thornberry in her normal outfit, jeans, flannel, tank top, and tell me where these pants are connected to her body. They do not touch her at all, ever. Like, she's not wearing suspenders. She's just, like, she is literally a twig with these pants that she's just swimming in. But, like, also, she's animated, and when she moves, the pants move with her. So they are... <laughs> I just did... All right. Side... Time out for a second. Did anybody watch... Between the Lions on PBS in, like, 2000, 
because I just did, again, I'm standing, so I'm, like, moving around, doing all these dances, and, like, I feel like I'm breathing super hard <laughs> through this script, because I'm not used to being so up and, like, energized while I'm doing this. Anyway, I just did this little dance in my little, like, recording booth that I have in my bedroom, and, like, it, I immediately thought, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, his, the Smarty Pence, duh. Duh. what the heck is his name and his assistant's name was smarmy marmy <laughs> and i loved her what the heck is his name is it is it rt smarty pants i think it's rt smarty pants but anyway he he like he would he would take parts of words and like throw them in his pants and then he would like dance around and he would sing ooh ah dance in smarty pants ooh ah and it was like i don't know okay all right we're going to come back into the script but like i just anyway i just did that little dance of i think it was rt smarty pants and that made me really happy. So I had to take a second to tell you about it. And now we're going to come back into my script. <laughs> Time in. <laughs> okay. The last thing that I'm going to say about the actual visual design of this show is the animals. Because that's basically the focus of this entire show. And the designs are just not great. <laughs> there's, there's something charmingly ugly about a lot of Klasky Supo characters, and I mean that in the best way. But also, like, okay, some of it is the fact that the show is over 20 years old, and of course, not all animation is going to hold up like that, and I get it. And in all honesty, most of the animals look fine. Like, I have no problem identifying what any of these animals are supposed to be. That's, that's not my gripe here. It's, it's the big jungle cats that are noticeably worse than the rest of the animals that they have in the show. It's the lions, tigers, cheetahs. I didn't watch every episode, so I don't know if we ever see pumas, but like all the big jungle cats look like Kiwi from Code Lyoko. And in my opinion, that is the worst thing that could be said about your animal design in a show that's about a family that shoots nature documentaries, because Kiwi is the ugliest little thing that I have ever seen. <laughs> and that's just my opinion. But there's something really unsettling about the designs of these big jungle cats. And it's the heads that throw me off. They're like weirdly, they look like fidget spinners. They're shaped like fidget spinners. <laughs> and I don't know any other way to describe them. Again, take a moment, pause, and Google uh, wild thornberry animals. And just like, or li you know, whatever. Like, specifically the jungle cats. And look at them. Because they're not great. <laughs> they're not, they're just not good. <laughs> but again charmingly charmingly ugly like i get it like it's part of your like you make a choice for like what you want the like aesthetic of your show to be and i guess this was the choice that y'all made but okay <laughs> like i'm not i'm not down for it but that's that's fine it's 20 years later there's nothing i can do about it now so anyway Maybe visually this show is not my favorite. And again, it's not the whole thing. It's specifically the jungle cats. Everything else I can get behind. And Debbie, for some reason, like her outfit really throws me off. And Nigel's head, my guy, is on this neck that's about the size of a freaking toothpick. And this man has the most enormous head. Everything about his like body is weirdly proportioned. Like he has he's he's pretty like stocky not like fat but like his design he's very square his body his actual body is square and then his neck is like a freaking toothpick and then on top of that toothpick is like the largest wedge of cheese or something i don't i suddenly ran out of like metaphors to use and he's it's i just don't logistically 
is is his neck okay? Because it's just real long and skinny, and they're like, I just he doesn't doesn't he have like an Adam's apple that protrudes really far? Just Nigel, are you okay? Because your neck has got to just be constantly hurting. So anyway. <laughs> So, again, visually, this show is not my favorite, but there's a charm to it, and that's something really fun about revisiting a show from your childhood. You notice stuff that you never picked up on as a kid, and that was the case here. Besides the fact that I noticed how unsafe this world and this situation is for a kid this time around, I did notice other really cool stuff. Like, at the end of the intro... They zoom into a map, and when I was watching this as a kid, I couldn't read, so I didn't know, but the map itself zooms in to where that episode takes place, and I think that's really neat. That's a detail that I noticed this time around that I had never noticed before, because, again, I couldn't read when I was watching it when I was four, so I think that's neat. The intro itself doesn't change from episode to episode. It's always Eliza introducing us to her family and her powers and why they travel around in the comedy, but I like that. It's the same... Uh, it's the same vibe, the same energy as Danny Phantom, because the intro gives you the background of the story so you can watch any episode and not feel lost. And this show does the same kind of thing. There, my God, I could just, I hear myself breathing and I just know it's not going to be fun to edit this down. Anyway, okay. There's not a lot to introduce in this show other than the fact that Eliza can talk to animals, but it's still a nice reminder. It reintroduces us to the characters, why they travel around in this RV, and reminding us that Eliza has these weird powers. So when we suddenly see her talking to animals like she does not do every episode, it's we we get it. We're on the we're all in the same boat. As a kid or Maybe just as an adult trying to remember a show that I haven't seen in at least 10 years, I thought it was a lot more educational than it actually is. Like, Eliza's parents film nature documentaries, and usually the B-plot of the episode is focused on them trying to get footage of whatever animal they came to find. But the main focus of the story is Eliza getting into trouble and talking to animals, which makes sense from the intro. We're specifically told that she can talk to animals, and it's narrated by her. So, like, it makes sense that her story is the main, like, plot of the episode. I don't know. I just always remembered the show being more focused on the animals. And it's not that it's not focused on the animals. It's just less about the documentary point of view and more just Eliza trying not to die because her parents leave her alone for eight hours to wander in the jungle. Like, Eliza is out here learning life lessons from gorillas because her parents just leave her alone. And just, yeah, <laughs> it irks me. So, speaking of her family, I would like to talk about Debbie because she was my favorite character this time that I watched it. When I was younger, I remember her being the annoying older sister. But as an adult, I totally understand her point of view, and I completely agree. All Debbie wants is a normal life with, like, friends. And instead, her parents haul her all over the world and leave her in charge of the camp while Eliza wanders off, and Debbie somehow always ends up taking care of Donnie. Like, I don't know. I, it just... <laughs> she's 16, man. Just, like, let her have a normal life. I don't... Yeah. It's... Yeah. Another thing that I noticed about Debbie as an adult is the fact that she really does love her siblings. Like, of course she's annoyed and brooding sometimes. She's 16. But she also takes really good care of Donnie, which is a lot of work. There's an episode where Debbie spends an entire day driving around the desert because Donnie ran off. Do her parents notice that he's missing? No. Nigel is with his friend from college and Marianne is trying to get footage of elephants. So it's up to Debbie to go save Donnie because he wants to touch an electric fence. Debbie did not sign up for this. She also loves Eliza, but, like, she'd probably never admit it, and I couldn't think of a single, like, plot point where I felt that that was evident. So, 
just know that it's there. Like, it's written into her character. Like, she obviously loves her sister. I just can't think of it like an example to include in the script. All right. I think it's time to talk about Donnie because he is my biggest concern throughout the run of this show. So, okay. <laughs> Asterisk, side note. There is a four-part episode in season four, I think, called The Origins of Donnie. And I had every intention of watching that episode before I came in to record this audio. But I left work early and with the intention, like that was the whole point of why I left work early, but then stuff happened. I got distracted. Didn't have time to watch that episode before I recorded this audio. So have not seen the episode about the origins of Donnie, but I'm able to put pieces together to like kind of figure it out. So like maybe... Like, okay, I'm saying this because maybe there's something that's explained in that episode that I am ignorant of because I didn't see that special. But it just, I meant to watch it and I didn't. So, asterisk, I don't know what's going on with Donnie, but like, I can put pieces together. So, they just find this boy in the forest, right? And he doesn't speak any language except for like gibberish and he's wild and crazy and like as humans and as parents I understand that you would want to save him and keep him safe if you just found him wandering alone but also why are we not getting him help like you find a kid in the jungle you stop everything you are doing and get him some help I don't know if he's like feral or if he just doesn't pick up on stuff because he hasn't been around other humans or like if he's like severely autistic or something like that like there's got to be some sort of like developmental but again if he hasn't been around humans if you just found him wandering in the forest or whatever he hasn't been around humans so he wouldn't pick up on human mannerisms like that like I don't know because again didn't watch that episode so I don't know what his story is but like you found him so like you stop everything and get him help like if that means that you like if that means that you have to put your recording your nature documentaries on hold or whatever or if that means that you like take him to like a facility somewhere and like leave him there so that he can get the help that he needs you do that you don't just take him with you everywhere that you go and then leave him with Don with Debbie to learn English like this is not Debbie's job you found him you are the adults you get him help it's not Debbie's job as the oldest sibling to pick up the slack while y'all go gallivanting around the world filming your nature documentaries like no you found the kid you get him help you're the adults I'm very frustrated <laughs> I feel because I just I feel bad for Donnie because like ob like obviously he doesn't know he's having the time of his life running around getting in trouble almost dying the same way Eliza is doing but like as adults and as humans as parents you find a kid you see he needs help you help him whatever that means like <laughs> frustrated Okay, yeah, there's an episode where the B-plot is Debbie trying to teach Donnie to speak English. And again, why is that Debbie's job? We just leave her alone with this kid, and she's more than capable of taking care of him. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, why is that her job? Why are the parents not worried about being parents? I'm just, yeet. I'm so frustrated. All right. I hope I don't wake Madison up, because I'm just, like, in here yelling. Like, hey, how's it going? Okay, finally, Darwin. Is there a Darwin backstory episode? Because I just have questions. Like, why does he wear clothes? Where did they find him? Why are the parents just okay with Eliza wandering around the world with this chimp? I hope there's a Darwin backstory episode. If there is, I didn't see it. But again, didn't watch the whole show. I had 
I had three days to watch 90 episodes, so that did not happen. So let me talk about some of my favorite episodes. I didn't watch the entirety of the show because 90 episodes, not following a hard narrative. I really didn't feel like I needed to watch the whole show, but I did Google best Wild Thornberry episodes and Google gave me a list of 20, which I felt like was more doable, but I still only watched like 10 of those episodes. I had a rough start to this week, so my viewing schedule was off, but that's fine. I loved every episode that I watched. Yeah, I have gripes about the parents. Apparently, I have very strong feelings about the parents, as, as hard as I just got into that, but that's, you know, whatever. They're... I have gripes about them leaving for a whole day to go film their nature show, but that's just part of the show. We're told that up top. That's what we signed up for. So I guess I just need to not be so angry about this show that happened 20 years ago for children on Nickelodeon. <laughs> the only episode that I really remembered was the rain dance episode from season two, and it was one of those where you think you remember how it happened, and then you watch it, and it's nothing like what you remembered it being. <laughs> so this episode... Uh, they're driving through the desert and the comedy breaks down, which means that Nigel has to walk like 20 miles to the nearest city or whatever and try to get the part that they need. So he leaves and right after he does, uh, Debbie comes out saying that there isn't any water for the shower. So Marianne looks and their water tank has a big crack in it. Um, so Eliza finds a bottle of water in the fridge and Marianne immediately is like, eh, 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 and she writes, <laughs> she, that was, mm, that was good. That was good sound effect. Okay, so she um, she marks on the bottle, saying that they can have one sip of water every hour from this bottle. So meanwhile, Debbie's just standing here naked, like wrapped in a towel, dripping wet with this. She said she has conditioner in her hair that she needs to rinse out and she can't because there's no water. <laughs> um, unrelated, Victorious is on Netflix US right now. And this reminds me of the episode where they all go to the beach for a day and they get locked in the RV and they all get so hot and they pass around the bottle cap full of water and Tori says, everybody gets one tongue dip. Like that's the same. Marianne has the same energy in this scene. <laughs> so Nigel is uh, going to get the part for the, the comedy and that's like the C plot of this episode. Eliza is always the main focus of the episode, obviously. And, uh, Back at camp is the, like, the B-plot. So nothing super exciting happens to Nigel. He literally just walks 20 miles to get to this town. So, I mean, he does, like, he's, like, singing one of those marching songs, like, 99 Bottles of Milk on the Wall or whatever, and he gets real sunburnt. His hat blows away. Like, stuff happens to him. It's not like we just don't see him. It's just not anything that I felt like was worth including in this script. So let it be known. Things do happen to Nigel. It just didn't feel important to include here. Eliza and Darwin decide that they're going to try to find a watering hole so that they can get some water to bring back to the camp. They ask a gecko for directions, but she seems to have no clue what's going on. So they find some other animals and they try asking them where the watering hole is. And they tell her that there hasn't been any rain in so long that the watering hole dried up. And the animals tell Eliza that every time they try to summon the rainmaker, it doesn't work. I don't remember the exact sequence of events, but at some point we flash back to the camp and... I said Debbie was in the middle of a shower and she had this conditioner in her hair that she couldn't rinse out because the water tank is cracked so they ran out and we flash back to the camp and Debbie is just sitting at the picnic table and all of a sudden her hair is like bright red and we it's like what <laughs> what happened like her hair is bright okay well she said okay because my first thought she came out of the shower and she was like mom I have to rinse this conditioner out it says three minutes like leave it in for three minutes and no more and so then we flash back to the camp all of a sudden and Debbie's just like chilling 
at this uh at her little like picnic table and her hair is bright red and like blown back and it's covered in mushrooms and like honestly my first thought was like oh no she wasn't kidding like you're not supposed to leave that conditioner in your hair for more than three minutes but uh, no so Marianne comes outside and she's like what what happened to your hair and Debbie said that she rinsed it with spaghetti sauce which like honestly I feel like leaving the conditioner in your hair would be better than spaghetti sauce because now you're gonna smell like garlic but I mean you know you do you you're 16 you're you're trying stuff and Marianne says, I hope you didn't need onions. And Debbie's like, what? Why? Why do you have a plate of onions? And Marianne says, we're going to make tears and then I'm going to collect them in this bowl. And she just like, she very rapidly descends into madness. And I honestly don't remember mom going insane in this episode, but here we are. Mom is trying to make tears. And then she doesn't say anything. She doesn't say like, I think maybe she does say that we're going to drink them or something. But then Debbie's like, okay, maybe we really need some help because mom is going insane. We're not about to drink tears that we made from onion, like juice. That's not going to happen. We need help. All right, back at the watering hole, the animals think that since Eliza can talk to them, that she must have some kind of supernatural power that would allow her to summon the Rainmaker. At first, she tries to tell them that she doesn't even know what to do to make it happen, but the animals keep pushing her, and eventually she kind of goes mad with power. She makes the animals parade her around, and she does all this crazy stuff just to feel important, and finally she leads the animals in a dance, and clouds start to roll in, and everybody thinks it's finally going to rain, but instead a huge dust storm kicks up. So after the storm subsides, Eliza goes out to find the animals to ask if they're okay, and they all snub her out and walk away, and she sits for a while kind of feeling sorry for herself. She sits down next to this rock, and when everybody else comes out of the convi, Marianne notices that there's writing on it, and so she looks in a book that she has, and she learns that the writing is like steps for a rain dance. So everybody dances around this rock for a while, and then it finally starts to rain. It's kind of cool. I like how it happens. The story wraps up pretty quickly. Nigel comes back with the part that they needed. The animals have their watering hole back. And as they're packing up to leave, Eliza looks up into the sky and she sees a cloud shaped like a hippo, which is what all the animals were describing as the rainmaker. And I don't know. It's just kind of a cool visual. I liked it. The only thing that I remember about this episode at all was the actual rain dance, and I had no other context for anything else that was happening. But I still thought this was a really fun episode, if for no other reason than getting that visual of Debbie with bright red hair, because that was great. <laughs> I, I used spaghetti sauce. Why is spaghetti sauce the first thing? That, like, you had nothing else in that camper that was, like, liquid. Like, you, like juice or, <laughs> like literally any other liquid. I just can't, I can't imagine what kind of circumstance you would have to be in for spaghetti sauce to be like, this'll work. This'll get the conditioner out. Maybe Debbie was also going insane with thirst. We really don't know. <laughs> There's another episode in season one where they go to the Galapagos Islands and they're looking for a specific animal, I think, but I don't really remember. But this is one of the few episodes I saw where Nigel was actually watching Donnie instead of them just leaving her al him alone with Debbie. He was trying to play catch with him with like some oranges or something and Nigel threw it and he was like meh and it like barely went anywhere so then Donnie picked it up and he chucked it right at Marianne with the camera and then she like whipped around and caught it real fast and threw it right back and like you could see it all through the lens of her camera it was it, uh, just a cool visual I really like that I thought that was neat also we love a mom with like good reflexes who was just like yeah and just like threw it right back I loved it we also got 
some really good Goonies references in this episode. Eliza is, again, just wandering around aimlessly, this time at the base of an active volcano, as you do when you're 12, and just, you know, wandering around the world with your family. Um, a tortoise told her about an old shipwreck, so she and Darwin are on the hunt for it, and Eliza just falls into a hole, like, just, and just is gone. So... And she and Darwin end up on this, like, underground water slide thing that leads into a shipwreck. Very Goonies. I like this episode in general, but we appreciate a good Goonies reference. Uh, That was it. Like, that was the whole... The episode itself was fun, but I was really just here to talk about the Goonies reference, so... (laughs) Uh, That episode is season one, episode nine. And I know that specifically because I wrote it down in my notes for this episode. So if anybody is interested in looking at that Goonies reference, season one, episode nine. There's another episode from season two, I think. I think it's season two, where Marianne and Eliza take elephant. Yes. Yeah. It's season two. Uh, Season two, episode one, because they're in India and I had to Google if every season took place in a different part of the world. All right. So Eliza and Marianne take these elephants to uh, somewhere. All right. Look, I don't remember the plot of this episode. I just wanted to say that while they're away, there, um, Nigel is trying to bond with Debbie and he suggests that they play board games. So there's like a scene in between this and he's like, oh, let's play board games, flash to the girls with the elephants. And then they flash back and there's a stack of board games on the table. And I just want to say that I am a sucker for off-brand board games in TV shows. These, they were out here playing Babel, Twisted, La La Land, Yahoo, Play Cheesy, Monopoly. I'm here for it. They just made me laugh so hard. Sometimes it's just like it's the little details that get you and the, and again would not have noticed that when I was a kid because one I couldn't read and two I wasn't paying that close attention like you're just watching the pictures when you're a kid you don't pay attention to the dialogue or anything like that it's just mm, good <laughs> good detail we love that there's a scene in an American Dad episode where like Again, don't remember the context. I'm just here for the board game references. But Steve is getting rid of a bunch of his childhood toys and he picks up a bunch of stuff and he puts it in this box. And the names are the best. Uh, Legos, Malibu Barbara, Starving Starving Rhinos, Warm Wheels, Connect 3, Guess Whom, Front Gammon. I love all of them. It's just a full minute of Steve naming trademarked things and it's so funny. Again, I'm just here to say I'm here for it. I love a good off-brand board game or like anything i'm i'm here for an off-brand reference <laughs> but okay my absolute favorite episode of the wild thornberries of the episodes that i watched which again not very many but whatever it's fine was definitely spirited away this episode is season three episode 10 it came out in 2000 and before i saw that i kind of hoped that it would be at least a slight parody of the studio ghibli film but this episode came out before that movie so no dice but that's all right if I had if, if I had seen this episode before Halloween of last year, I may have put it on my list for Halloween special episodes, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't. Uh, this episode features a family... Oh, sorry. This episode features the family heading to Mexico to celebrate the Day of the Dead Festival, which happens right around Halloween, so that would have been the only reason that I, had put, that I would have put that on that list. But again, didn't see it before Halloween, so that doesn't count. <laughs> Um, they stay with a family while in Mexico. I don't remember how Nigel got hooked up with them, but they film everything about the festival as part of their show, and I think that's neat. Take a break from the animals for a little bit. 
if you've seen Coco or if you have any knowledge of this festival, I honestly just really appreciate that something like this aired on Nickelodeon in 2000. I just, I love it so much. Uh, it has nothing to do with Coco other than the fact that both movies and this episode, both that movie and this episode take place around the same Mexican holiday. Um, if you haven't seen Coco, go check it out. Seriously, I know it's a couple years old at this point, but it's so good. I Good, good visuals, good, uh good cultural representation. Again, I just appreciate it. So, back in. Uh, Eliza doesn't really feel like the main focus of this episode, which I also appreciate. Like, of course she's still part of the story, but it feels like we spend just as much time with everybody else in this episode. Part of the festivity for this festival is to decorate the headstones in the cemetery. So everybody goes to help and Eliza notices a headstone in the back that's all overgrown and it looks really sad. And when she asks about it, the daughter of their family that they're staying with says that uh, her family must all be gone. Like, there's no one to remember her. So Eliza feels bad for this poor soul. So she brushes the webs and stuff out of the way and she picks some flowers to lay in front of it. Nothing nearly as nice and fancy as everybody else's, but it still looks a little bit better than it did when she walked in. When Eliza goes to walk away, a breeze picks up and it swirls all these flower petals around her and she feels like someone wants her to come back to the cemetery, like somebody's calling her. It's kind of like freaky, but that's fine. Uh, the families head back to the house to continue getting ready for the festival. Um, the dad, I don't remember any of the names of this family that they're staying with, and Google is not helping, so I'm sorry. Uh, the dad <laughs> makes masks for the festival, and Nigel is filming the process for the documentary that they're making, and he asks Debbie if she wants to try a mask, and being the apathetic teenager that she is, she walks off to find something else to do. She's like, mm-mm, we're not, <laughs> we're not having it, which, like, uh, that's fine. She wanders into the kitchen and finds the mom making some kind of bread with candy ghost stuffed inside. I tried to Google what this is, but it was just a quick Google at 3 a.m., so I didn't see anything that really helped. But, like, I imagine it's, like, king bread for Mardi Gras, but I, I, I would love if somebody would school me on that, honestly. Like, I, I tried to Google it, but I didn't really know what I was Googling for, so maybe that was part of it. But, oh, I just... It's neat. So... This scene is honestly my favorite scene of the whole show. Debbie and this woman do not speak the same language, but they're able to understand each other. Debbie watches what she's doing, and she's able to figure out that, uh, yeah, you just stuff this little candy ghost inside this roll. Like, it's not a hard process. It's just the fact when... I appreciate when scenes don't need dialogue to communicate something. Like, she's just... And in this situation, you know, it's effective because they don't speak the same language. This woman speaks Spanish, Debbie speaks English, but, like, the fact that Debbie can just watch what she's doing and, like, like she gets it, you know, you understand what you're supposed to be doing, but, like, you don't need to speak. Like, a lot of this scene isn't necessarily speaking, but there is, I mean, there's, like, music and stuff in the background, but, like, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not dialogue heavy. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to, <laughs> using copious amounts of dialogue to try to explain why a like a scene doesn't necessarily need a lot of dialogue in it okay just appreciate the scene good visuals good feelings all right and that's fun the you know that they don't have to communicate with words or whatever and they're bonding but then donnie comes in and he helps uh, helps i don't know 
I just love that because he still doesn't speak or have very many human mannerisms at all, but he's able to mirror what Debbie is doing. He picks up a little ghost, he hands it to Debbie, and she puts it in the bread. Like, he might not understand what's happening, but little moments like this make me feel like he's growing as a character and becoming more, uh, I don't want to say more human, but like, that's kind of what I mean. Like, he's, he's picking up on things. Okay, like, he clearly doesn't understand what's happening because they make, like, ten of these rolls in a row, and he's doing so good, and then he hands Debbie a spoon, and she's like, nope, mm -mm, try again, so then he hands her an egg, and she's like, oh, for two, man, hand me, hand me a ghost, and then he picks up uh, the ring that the mom had taken off for a second, and Debbie doesn't look, she just feels in her hand that that's the right size, so she stuffs it in a bread. I just, I love that scene. Again, there doesn't have to be words. We don't have to speak the same language to bond over food. And it's played for comedy when Donnie hands Debbie the wrong stuff. But I love seeing him, like, help. Even if he doesn't... He doesn't understand what's going on. He's just mirroring what she's doing. But I, that's still progress. The fact that he's standing there and mirroring what she is doing is progress forward from what we saw, like, from, again, didn't watch every episode, but what from what I saw of Donnie in season one versus this scene right here in season three, that's, it may not seem like a lot, but it's a lot. <laughs> like, it is, it's a lot that he's, like, picking up on stuff and learning how to, like, function. Uh, so Eliza feels like she needs to go back to the cemetery to figure out what's going on. So she borrows, she borrows a burrow. That's a fun sentence. And she asks him to take her to the cemetery. They ride for like an hour. And then Eliza's like, this doesn't seem right. Are you sure you know where you're going? And the burrow's like, no, usually the guy just points and that's where I go. And then she's like, oh, okay, cool. So we're just, we've just been wandering and now we're just lost. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, they end up falling down this like really steep hill. And right before they slam into a bunch of cac cactuses, cacti plural uh, somebody grabs them and pulls them over and eliza says how lucky it is that she was there and then she's like what are you doing here and the woman says that she used to live in this village a long time ago and she just comes back to visit sometimes but that they're going the wrong way if they want to go to the cemetery and then she points them on the right path as they're riding away eliza and darwin continue to say to each other how lucky it was that she was there and darwin's like how did she know that we were going to the cemetery and then they look back and it's like whoosh, with like a rush of petals and she's gone um Okay, yeah, yeah. I know the pedal thing is, like, important. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, when they're going into the cemetery, the daughter is, like, spreading petals on the ground. And when Eliza asks her what she's doing, she says this is the, like, it, it's, it's, it's a path to lead them back home or whatever. And I think, isn't that a thing in Coco, too? The, like, bridge that they use to cross over is, like, made of petals or whatever. I'm pretty sure that's it. So, like, I'm just, I'm putting together some, like, significant things uh back at the house mom is super upset because that ring is missing but it wasn't just a ring it was her grandma's ring a really precious family heirloom and like honestly i'm a little bit mad that debbie didn't fess up like you have got to know that you put that ring in one of those roles you know but it's not like she she didn't do it on purpose. Donnie was helping. She just wasn't paying attention. So, like, instead of telling everybody that it's probably in one of these roles, she pretends that she has no idea what happened, and she's just helping everyone look. While they're looking for this ring, someone comes by to pick up all the roles and take them to the festival. And again, if Debbie had just said something, they could have avoided this whole thing. But she didn't. So now they have to chase this dude with the cart into town and rip open all these roles to find a ring. That, I'm... Hey, you with the cart, the, 
Kronk chasing uh, Pacha as he carries an unconscious Cusco unknowingly in this bag out of the city. And then he, like, has an existential crisis. And he's like, you know what? It's fine. If he's gone, then, like, Yzma doesn't know that I didn't kill him. So, <laughs> bye. <laughs> hey, you with the cart. <laughs> All right. I just, cart. We are full of references tonight, y'all. This is, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I might start standing for most of these, honestly, because I feel like my energy is like, Yee. it also could be that I drank coffee, but like, it could be a combination of both, honestly. It could be coffee and standing. Apparently that's what I need to make every episode great. Frosted flakes. Okay. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. They could have avoided this whole mess. All right. So I'm going to skip the buildup. Uh, also, because, like, we just took, like, a 20-second like a interlude while I explain random references that I'm coming up with in my head. Uh, mostly, I don't remember exactly what happened, but, like, I know Donnie rides in on a pig, and they all end up crashing into the cart. And then I think the pig snatches the roll with the ring in it, so the girls take off running after the pig. And then the woman that helped Eliza earlier either catches the pig or catches Donnie. Don't really remember. Maybe both. Maybe Donnie was continuing to ride the pig. Don't really remember. Uh, she, like, catches them, gives Eliza the bread. Eliza asks for her name, and then she says, thanks. When they all meet back up at the cemetery, Eliza hands mom the ring and says she couldn't have caught the pig without the help of this woman. And then she says her name, and the whole family is like, oh! <laughs> They're like, who? Who? Who helped you? And uh, the daughter's like, um, she died, like, 40 years ago. Which, like, I feel like, as an, like, I, as an adult, I could put that together. Like, all the things that were happening, and then, like, I, I, I figured it out. Like, it wasn't spooky. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, once I really started watching this episode, I feel like I kind of remember being spooked by, like, I have very fleeting memories of this episode, and I kind of feel like maybe I got a little bit spooked the first time that I saw it, but I didn't remember any other plot points. But this is by far my favorite episode. I love the bread scene. I love that this episode takes place around an actual event that happens in real life. I just love it. I love, I love it all around. Uh, the very last thing that I want to talk about before I wrap up is Nigel, because I don't know how he became a meme. I don't know what happened, but it all felt, it felt like all of a sudden in 2011, like, when did the show end? 2004. So like seven years after this show ended, like all of a sudden Nigel is on everything. And like, I'm here for it. I'm just confused about what <laughs> the events that led up to this happening. At one point, there was a Facebook page dedicated to Nigel Thornberry's face on things. And I followed it. And I was so here for all of it. So much that before we even moved in together, I asked Madison if we could have a Nigel Thornberry shower curtain. And she said yes. And it's not up currently, but it's in the rotation. It's splashing. That's no. <laughs> no. That was not. Anyway, it says splashing on it. And it has Nigel, like, with a brush. And he has, he has little shower caps on the end of his mustache. It's so cute. It is... If you follow me on Twitter, it is presently my, uh, like, my banner photo because I don't have, like, I don't have anything else to use for that. So right now it's just my Nigel Thornberry shower curtain that's just splashing. <laughs> but it's fun. I like it. Uh, not only was his face just on everything for, like, six months, but does anybody remember the music remixes that people did with his weird little sound in them? I had to, uh, like, I had to Google... Uh, 
I actually did a little bit of research for this episode. Like, I'm proud of myself. I googled when that meme became popular, and one of the first things that came up was a song that was remixed with his little noise in it, and I had totally forgotten about that until that moment when I googled it. It was just, it's fun to remember. So, while this show itself may have faded into obscurity in the public eye, at least we will always have Nigel Thornberry memes to keep us company. I hope you enjoyed escaping into the world of the wild thornberries with me this week. This show was smashing. At the beginning, I kind of complained about it not having a hard narrative, but that's actually kind of nice sometimes. It's nice to take a break and just watch something for the fun of it, and this was definitely a really fun watch. If this is your first episode of mine, thanks for checking it out. I try to cover a variety of animated shows, new and old, so make sure to check out previous episodes to find your favorite show, and if you don't see it, keep checking back. I upload every Saturday with a new show to talk about. Also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Kelby underscore cartoons. I've been live tweeting my reactions as I watch the shows that I cover. This week, I'm watching Kim Possible and The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which, I mean, those are either, like, great shows or, like, meh, depending on how you feel. <laughs> uh, follow me on Facebook, too. Just search Kelby's Cartoon Corner. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back next week with another animated world for us to escape into together. Until then, happy Saturday, or whatever day it is, whenever you're listening happy whatever hey i'm just coming at you real quick with a question here at the end uh what did you think of the energy of this episode like i liked it because just because i'm standing i feel like i can put more into it like i can move around more and i'm not worried about the microphone moving around or my chair squeaking in the background uh but if this uh, kind of energy is the kind of thing that you would want to hear from future episodes of mine, uh, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Uh, leave me a good review wherever you listen. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever way you can think, just, like, let me know that this is the kind of energy that you would want, because I, again, I really liked it. I liked being able to be more up and into it, but if, you know, if you would rather have me sitting in my chair and like, I just, I, I want to know what you want to listen to. So if this is something you like, let me know. Uh, if you'd rather have me sitting and like less up, I can also do that. Like I'm, I'm good with whatever. I just want to know what you want to listen to. So let me know. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, I'll be back next week with the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, uh, which I'm excited about because Pooh is very special to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, let me know if this kind of energy is something that you would want to continue to hear or if you'd rather have me a little bit less up and uh, like not so uh, energy. Uh, again, whatever you guys want to hear, that's what I want to be doing. So just let me know. Uh, we'll see you hear you i won't hear you but you will hear me uh next week when we talk about poo or i mean whatever episode you decide to listen to next that's fine but uh, okay <laughs> i'm so bad at exiting and like leaving and outro <laughs> okay i will i will see you next week maybe we'll have the same energy maybe we won't i don't know uh, leaving that up to you <laughs> uh, that's it that's the end that's all i wanted to say so um bye i guess <laughs>